Welcome to season four of The Culture of Kindness. My name is Nahala Summers and I am your host. A culture of kindness is based on the idea that by bringing kindness into leadership, we reduce stress, anxiety, make happier workplaces, and in turn, improve the bottom line for any organization or institution. It is a book, leadership program, accreditation, and of course, this wonderful podcast. Kindness has been my life's work since I founded the social movement for kindness back in 2012 called Sunshine People. And it has kept me interested on what people have to say on the complexities of kindness ever since. The guest lineup is exceptional. From politicians to social media influencers, best-selling authors to BBC presenters, an eclectic mix of people who all have completely different views on kindness, how we get it and where the world is currently at. If you enjoy this episode, then please do show your support for kindness by subscribing to the podcast, leave a five-star review or simply invest in the book, aptly named A Culture of Kindness, available on Amazon. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoy. Kristin Neff, thank you so much for coming on and being on a Culture of Kindness podcast. It is a huge honour. I feel like if I described you to people who didn't know you, you would be like the Brenny Brown of self-compassion, what she is for like vulnerability and shame. You are that person. Um, You know, oodles of... um, experience and time spent and served in terms of researching self-compassion from 20 years ago when nobody was talking about it and now everybody's talking about it and they quote you along the way um so I came across you from your uh book self-compassion the proven power of being kind to yourself um and devoured it on Audible while I was doing my training for various things that I do um, and just just loved it. It's just so full of um, hints and tips for what people can do, first of all, um, but also wisdom because there's so many times I was like, I, that's, I've had that or my friends had that. Um, yeah. You know, oh, I feel like that. And so it's a great book for people to relate to um for for starters but but I guess if we were to start to talk about self-compassion first of all you know you started this 20 years ago you were an associate professor um at the University of Texas Austin and gone through you know done done many things in that time um which I'm sure you could probably fill a couple of hours with with uh, with everything that you've achieved um but how has that conversation changed from 20 years ago when you started to present day about self-compassion and what people understand about it? Yeah, well, it's been really remarkable because, again, when I first started, you know, people hadn't really even heard of the idea that there was immediate suspicion like self-compassion. What? Isn't that going to make you like soft and weak and lazy? People still have those uh, reactions. But so when I first introduced the construct to the field, and by the way, I didn't come up with the idea. I actually learned about it in in my Buddhist practice. And from that perspective, it doesn't make sense to give compassion outwardly and not inwardly, because of course we're all interconnected and you know it's all part of this big system. 
Yeah. Um, but it hadn't really been looked at in um, psychology before. Yes. And the way I kind of got my foothold in, in psychology was talking about how it's different than self-esteem and had a lot more benefits. So self-esteem is like a judgment or an evaluation of self-worth. Mm-hmm. Self-compassion is just being kind to yourself, right? Kind of like you would to a friend. And also because it's compassion, you know, in the Latin, that means to suffer with. It's a way of relating to your suffering and difficulty. Compassion is relevant when you fail, when you make a mistake, when you're going through a hard time. Self-esteem only tends to come in when you're succeeding. You know, it, it deserts you and you fail. So that was the way I kind of introduced it into the field. And, and now it just stands on its own two feet. You know, there's almost 4,000 studies now on self-compassion. It's just phenomenal. It's, it's a whole entire field on its own. Uh, you know, really self-compassion sells itself, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm a messenger, but it's, it's because it works. And now a lot of the research, you know, has gone beyond just showing that people with higher trait levels have you know, more tendency to be kind to themselves, do better. Now, a lot of the focus is on how to teach people how to be more self-compassionate. Yeah. And that's where my heart is. Um, how do we get people, help them learn this skill? Because it is a skill. It's like yeah. not an inborn trait. It's a skill. It's like learning to be a good friend to someone else is a skill you develop over time. Learning to be a good friend to yourself is a skill you develop over time. And it's life-changing. It really yeah. is. I, I do love how you talk about that in, in so much, just to really just summarize it in a one-liner. It's just about treating yourself like you would a friend, you know, and if you really just think about that and meditate on it, then that's that's just the summary of it all, right? Right. And so, you know, uh, and, our, and our close friends, especially, we know, you know, when they need just some acceptance and validation maybe when they need a little kick in the butt to make a change you know um, especially those really good friends we can be totally authentic and honest with yeah. uh, we already know what to do you know and we want we naturally want to help our friends and we know telling our our friends you stupid lazy fool is not going to be very helpful <laughs> we'd never say that to a friend and yet we say that to ourselves thinking somehow that's going to help us but it doesn't it just makes us you know, depressed and anxious and fearful and, you know, go into a shame spiral, which doesn't help anyone. No. And, that, and that's why I'd say one of the things that has really surprised me over the, these 20 years is that it's actually not that difficult to teach people how to be kind to themselves because they already have the template that most people, not everyone, but most people have developed over time in the context of friendship or maybe being a parent. You know, we understand how to be kind, warm, supportive, what words are going to help, what words are going to not help. We, mm-hmm. we know that intuitively. And so the problem is not really teaching people how to do it. The, the bigger block is some people feel they don't deserve it. Or again, they're afraid. They have all these fears that actually are disproven by research that will make them selfish or lazy or self-indulgent or you know, full mm-hmm. of self-pity. But once you get over that bump, then it's actually, it's not rocket science. You know, it's not like you've got, it's, for instance, it's easier than meditation, which can take a little work and to learn how to like quiet your mind and, you know, get in the state of samadhi. Self-compassion is as easy as just putting your hand on your heart and saying, wow, this is really hard. You yeah. know, it can take yeah. five, five seconds and it makes a shift. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you talk about those, you talk about those, hints and tips on what people can do that are so small, but so powerful. You know, I've been using them and shared them in our 
kindness group and and people relate it you know it's instant it's instant it's relatable instantly um and people can get on board with it and that's what makes it so easy right um yeah so if we were to talk about some of the myths of self-compassion, just to kind of get those out of the way, because I think people were going, well, it's still a bit fluffy and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what would you, what are the myths that kind of surround self-compassion that are not actually true? <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, I mean, I hate, I hate to say this, but, you know, I just did some cross-cultural research looking at levels of self-compassion and the UK came out near the bottom. <laughs> Um, and I think that's because I spent, I lived in London for a year. I, you know, I know UK culture pretty well because there's a stiff upper lip mentality. Don't complain, just carry on. And yes, sometimes you need that, like in World War II and all that, but actually repressing our pain and not acknowledging it and just shoving our, you know, shoving it under the rug actually doesn't help nice. because it causes a lot of anxiety, a lot of pressure, a lot of extra stress. But people are afraid that self-compassion just means giving yourself a break. Yeah. Well, sometimes it means giving yourself a break if you need a break. Maybe you're working too hard. Maybe what you need is a break. But if giving yourself a break starts being counterproductive, which means you know you don't go into work, you aren't reaching your goals, you're being too soft on yourself, then it's no longer self-compassion. Because mm -hmm. self-compassion is aimed at the alleviation of suffering. So if it doesn't help, if it's counterproductive, it's no longer self-compassion. No, no. Simply asking yourself, what do I need? Do I need to work harder? Do I need to get more sleep? Do I need to uh, give myself emotional support to validate my pain? Do I, do I need to change my relationship or change my job? Do I need to protect myself, stand up to someone who's crossing my boundaries? Right. So self-compassion is not any one particular behavior. Um, it's, it's saying, what do I need? So people are afraid it's, you know, again, just like soft and fluffy. It's not. Soldiers who come back from combat who are more self-compassionate about the trauma they've experienced are much less likely to contemplate suicide or turn to drugs and alcohol. They're less likely to develop PTSD. You know, there's tons of research that when things are really difficult, being an ally as opposed to an enemy, clearly it's going to make you stronger. Yeah. Um, so, and so these are just some of the myths that'll make you weak, lazy, self-indulgent, make you lose your motivation. They're all completely disproven by science. Yeah. I, I love that summary where you, you've just really just summarized it. If, if people were to take it away and say, actually, you know, self-compassion is about the alleviating of suffering for yourself, yeah. right? That if you tune into that, that's, that's, it's, it's as easy as that to understand, isn't it? That's right. And if, and if it's not helping, then it's not self-compassion. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, exactly. You know, I love to read. Um, and so if I read books all week and don't get my work done while in that moment, it's fine. I've now caused myself suffering. <laughs> um, and so it's not self-compassion. Hey, got to put that book down and get some work done. You know? <laughs> yeah. Here's the difference. The motivation is really different. So the, 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 the source of motivation out of self-compassion is because I care and I want to be well and happy. The motivation of self-criticism is you better do it. Otherwise, you're going to be a lazy, unacceptable, you know, and bad person. Yes. And that type of motivation. Now, first of all, it, it does kind of work. I mean, a lot of people have like gotten through law school and med school through harsh self-criticism. So I'd be lying if I said it doesn't work. 
but it has all these unintended consequences like mm -hmm. like um, anxiety, which undermines your ability to perform, um, fear of failure, you know, blaming others, not being able to learn from your mistakes. All of these things actually work against your ability to achieve your goals. Whereas the motivation of care, I want to do well because, yeah, not because I'm unacceptable, because, because I want to be happy. Then it allows you to learn from your mistakes. Hey, it's okay, everyone fails. What can I learn from this? And to keep going, I mean, it's just so much more effective. I, I I'm just going to touch on something that you mentioned there, which is one of my favourite things that you say about the acceptance of things not going to plan. Um, and I that is something I do have. I don't mind failure, but I think we live in a world and and like you say, you know, the UK is probably in a place people people don't cope very well with it. But I love you put in a in an article and and it's probably within your book as well um that says excuse me there must be some error i signed up for the everything will go swimmingly until the day i die plan can i speak yeah. to the management please yes yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an unconscious assumption but again when when you know the movers break your sofa or whatever it is something has gone wrong as if what's supposed to happen is perfection yeah. And if it doesn't happen, that's a problem. It's not supposed to have everyone else is having perfection. It's just me who's having this issue. But that's actually not the way life works. You know, yeah. what's supposed to happen is things go wrong. That's that is the human experience. Yeah. And the, but the reason it's important is not just intellectually important. What happens emotionally when we feel like there's something wrong with us? or that my life is abnormal, or that somehow everyone is, you know, leading a normal, happy life, and it's just me who's struggling, then it creates a real sense of isolation. And especially for humans, that's really, that's really disturbing, because, you know, we need to feel connected to others in order to, be, to, to, to survive. Yeah. So when we feel isolated, alone, abnormal, it makes things so, not only are they painful, we also feel isolated and alone in our pain, which just makes things so much worse. But when you remember, hey, this is human, everyone goes through this, I'm not alone, it's not just me, that actually gives us a sense of connection, which makes us feel safer. And it also helps us cope there then when we feel safe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I will point people, and I will say this at the end as well, but I'm going to point people to your website, which is www.self hyphen compassion.org because there is so much in there about <clears throat> some of the stuff that you've talked about but about the three components of self-compassion explaining about that explaining about that within videos and all sorts of just wonderful uh wonderful resources i really want to talk about because i'm very excited about this uh your latest book which is fierce self-compassion how women can harness kindness to speak up claim their power and thrive where did the book come from like where was it born well so um for the last maybe three years i've been talking about fierce and tender self-compassion partly as a counter to this narrative that self-compassion is soft and fluffy and it's going to make you weak so, you know, if you use the metaphor of self-compassion, it's like kind of reparenting yourself in many ways, giving yourself what you need. So sometimes that looks like tenderness, acceptance, just love, unconditional love, acceptance, soothing, validating your pain. But sometimes it's like mama bear, right? So there's this whole other side of self-compassion, which can be quite fierce. Uh, for instance, protecting yourself, saying no, drawing boundaries, 
uh, or motivating change. Again, doing something differently, leaving the relationship if you need to, or changing your social structure if you need to, right? That's part of self-compassion. And also um, doing what's needed to, to make yourself happy and fulfilled, taking action, taking concrete steps. Um, the reason I wrote the book more for women um, is partly out of the Me Too movement, actually. Um, realizing that in many ways, the Me Too movement is a female self-compassion movement, right? Mm -hmm. Women rising up and saying, hey, it's, it's not okay. You know, you aren't going to sexually harass me or treat me, you know, in a way that's inappropriate. Um, and the reason it's written for women, because all, all men and women need both fierce and tender self-compassion. And they need to be, they need both. So too much tenderness without fierceness is complacency. Too much fierceness without tenderness is kind of aggression. Right, so, you, so we need both, it's like yin and yang. But gender role socialization really does a number on us. It does a number on men, because men are allowed to be fierce, but they can't be tender. They get called names if they're too sensitive, right? And that harms men, harms their ability to, to use tenderness to cope with pain. Uh, but women aren't allowed to be fierce. They're called different names if they're too fierce, right? Yeah. And that harms women's ability to speak up for themselves, change the social structure you know i have to say it's not an accident that these gender role jewels are there i mean women are socialized not to get angry not to rock the boat you know oh that's just the way men are oh well that's just the way things are who does that serve <laughs> so in many ways the book is like the reason it's directed to women is it's mainly just because the blocks are different it would have to be a slightly different book if it was, if it was about male gender role socialization this is really a, a feminine empowerment book saying that, you know, if we're going to reach our full power and reach our full potential and also make the changes in the world that need to be made because the way things are with the, the fierceness without tenderness, it's like, hasn't worked out so well. Look at global warming, look at wealth inequality, look at all the issues, you know, racism, sexism. Yeah. We're going to do that. We need to really own our fierceness, including our anger. You know, yeah. women are socialized so strongly that we're ugly when we're angry. It's not okay. People don't like angry women. Mm. And yet anger, anger can be a tool of um, helping people or harming people. So the anger feeling, let's say, the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter movement, as long as it's focused on eliminating injustice, it's a form of compassion. It's only when it gets personal and, you know, if you start attacking people and saying like men are bad or white people are bad, you know, that type of, mm. you might say the fierceness without the, the tenderness or the humanity, that's when it's dangerous. Yeah. So there's constructive or destructive anger. Mm. But constructive anger, it's a power source, right? It's part of, it keeps us focused. It, it, it reduces the fear response. It's, it's really a necessary part of the tools of self-compassion anger or fierceness or, you know, clear boundaries, standing up for yourself. Mm. Um, and that's why I was so excited to write this book. Um, kind of, I wrote it mainly for my sisters, partly because I had a, I had a personal experience with someone horrible turned out to be a sex predator that I had trusted and supported. And it's like seeing a, a lot of the woman's reaction and a lot of women had trouble getting in touch with their anger. I didn't, I'm pretty fierce, <laughs> but it's like, seeing these blocks put on us by society that disempower us and it was like uh-uh i'm gonna do whatever i can yeah to um help women tap into their full power and you know here's the thing about fear self-compassion 
And also what tender self-compassion will give you. A lot of people want to be nice, especially women. We're raised to be nice so that people like us. One of the things about self-compassion is you aren't so dependent on people liking you and approving of you because you can like and approve of yourself, which means you can be more true to yourself. You can yeah. say no if you mean no. Yeah. You know, you can draw a boundary even if people would really like you so much better if you just did what they said pretty please. I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah. And you know, that 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 willingness to risk people not liking you is as much as part of what self-compassion gives you because again you aren't dependent on social approval approval for your sense of self-worth yeah. it's really freeing it's really freeing do you think that it's very much about um people understanding the boundaries but also giving people being able to implement them in some way to say to somebody no but in a you know, in a way that doesn't cause judgment, I guess, that they feel. Oh, yeah, so, so integration, my whole book is almost ad nauseum, it's yin and yang balance, right? So in other words, and especially for a woman, because people don't like fierce women, but the research shows that if you integrate it with the tenderness, in other words, if you say, no, I can't help you, but how are you kids, by the way? <laughs> you know what I mean? So if you kind of just, you know, and it's, it's kind of unfair, men don't have to do it, but whatever, that's the way things are. Women, <laughs> show the tenderness and the fierceness and they integrate it in a balanced manner and people you don't get that negative backlash so yeah so so i talk about caring force right so in other words we can be forceful we can own our power but we always want it to be in the service of caring and helping as opposed to just being aggressive or harmful in some way yeah. again if it if it's harmful then it stops being compassionate and, and just to say i don't i don't say this as like an expert i actually struggle with it when, when I get angry, I'm, I'm a little too fierce and I'm not tender enough, but I know that when I get it right, when I go, work toward balance, it's always better, you know. But the nice thing is if you get it wrong, then you can use tender self-compassion and say, well, it's okay, everyone's imperfect, let me try again, you know. It's not I, easy. I'm not I, pretending it's easy, but it's, it's really the only way forward. I absolutely love that you've just said that because I was literally thinking this morning about something, you know, I was writing and doing something and, and I was thinking to myself, no, no, I still haven't got it right. You know, I'm still learning about kindness and how to be kind to self, how to be kind to others, how to put in boundaries, how to have those conversations in a kind way, not just in a nice way, because we can all try and be nice, but it doesn't mean that we're being kind. And um, and so for you to say, you know, I'm still learning or, you know, we're still practicing it, aren't we? We can... Yeah. Can stand from um, a place of I've researched it. I know this. This is my life. But also, I'm practicing it within my own life all of the time too. Getting it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like so the goal of practice is simply to become a compassionate mess. Right? <laughs> but it is true. Your, your goal is just getting it right. To just well, can I open my heart to whatever comes that moment by moment. And that's really the only way that's, that this is sustainable. It's not a destination. It's a way of life. It's yeah. a way of relating to every moment, including when you, when you get it spectacularly wrong, which I do all the time. 
Yeah. So your latest book, is it very much that for women, but they could use um, the book within their workplaces and within their home and within their friendships? Is that kind of the premise of the book they can use everywhere? Yeah. And by the way, I've had a lot of my male friends read it and say they get, they've gotten a lot out of it. I mean, the reason it's for women is, is because I talk a lot about gender role socialization. And again, that's for most men, they weren't raised that way. So, but a lot of them, first of all, said it's in, insightful, open their eyes to things they didn't see. But the practices, I have a lot of practices about fear, self-compassion, and tender, and how to integrate them. Those, those apply to everyone. Yeah. But yeah, I have a, a, um, I, I kind of lay out the tools of self-compassion, very pragmatic. These are skill sets. And then I talk about how you might use them at work, um, in your relationships, or how to deal with it if you aren't in a relationship, um, and also in caregiving contexts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 a very it's a very practical book in many ways. It's about what you can actually do. That I think the concepts are interesting, especially I think understanding why as women we are the way we are. Why women, even though compassion is part of the female gender role, have less self compassion because we're socialized to be nice and self sacrificing. And we aren't supposed to, you know, we don't feel entitled to meet our own needs, which is why we have slightly lower levels of self-compassion. Yeah. And it's like when you when you kind of see that and see, oh, I see, this is actually linked to power and control. And it's like, oh, well, then maybe I'm not going to go along with the program, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, I think but, it's but, good to be educated. But there's also a lot of just practical what to do in, in everyday life. Yeah, and I I find that from your books, and that's that's just I mean why I probably love them so much is because you take so much away from them. You go away with really practical solutions. Not only are you presented with the research and the science, but you're also then presented with well, what can you do? And it's not like oh, you have to do this long antiquated thing for hours and take the day off <laughs> to do it. It's like super quick things you can integrate into your day. It's just brilliant. Well, any the time to practice self compassion is any moment that you suffer. Yeah, you know. Um, so that and that's when you know when you're stressed, or you're struggling. That's that's kind of your reminder. Oh yeah, okay. How can I help myself in this moment? Because you're also on, you've. It's also the mindful self compassion workbook as well that you were a co-author on. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So Chris Germer, he's just a great colleague. Um, we have we developed this mindful self compassion program, and it's taught all over the world, and there's uh, including in the UK. Um, and there's a workbook that you can get. And so most of the practices in the fear self compassion book have kind of been adapted from those core practices in the mindful self compassion program. So, so something you can do, you can, you can also train online. So tell me how, so say I was um, an organization and I thought, yeah, there's something about this self-compassion that we could do to in, uh, support our staff. Because I think certainly in the UK, you know, we talk about mental health and well-being, and in the most part, we're putting sticky plasters on bigger problems. And that's, you know, that's why I do my work with a culture of kindness. You know, it's about changing the foundations of the house and not just putting sticky plasters on something. And I feel that, you know, the work of self-compassion is exactly that. It's putting in the foundations for any workplace, which is where we spend most of our time. If they wanted to do something around this and kind of embed self-compassion is that something that 
your your group your people if they went to self uh dash compassion.org if you if you go to my website and by the way you know, I, I got in early on the algorithm, so you can spell self-compassion anyway. Go to that website. Oh, okay. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I've got a link there for the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, and that's the nonprofit that Chris Grover and I founded that really offers self-compassion training. So you can get training online. You can also contact people if you want some more one-on-one -on -one training. You just contact the administration there, and they can set it up. So again, we have people all over the globe, including a lot of teachers in the UK, because we offer teacher training as well. Amazing. Yes. So people should be looking you up. I love it. Um, I can't believe we're already at the end of the podcast, which is so sad. And I've been so looking forward to this um, podcast. So thank you so much for your time. I always ask one question at the end. Um, what does a culture of kindness mean to you? You know, when I use those words to you, what does it look like in your world? And, and what does it envisage to you? Yeah, so um, I mean, self-compassion and compassion for others, they, they do go hand in hand. And in fact, if you want to help others, if you model self-compassion, that means that they're going to be more likely to be more self-compassionate. So it's really just kindness, unidirectional kindness, or omnidirectional kindness, I guess you might say, including yourself, including others, finding balance, talking about this out loud, because the more we, we use words of kindness, even if like you break a glass at work, and it's like, oh man, that, that's a bummer, oh well. You know, it happens. It's okay. You make fingers up. Something, just something very little like that. Just modeling. Instead of saying out loud, I'm such a doofus, you know, yeah. which models self-criticism, modeling self-compassion. And of course, also as much as you can, be compassionate and kind and supportive to others. But remember, this doesn't necessarily mean being nice. Sometimes yeah. it's mama bear. Sometimes you got to draw your boundaries. Sometimes you can say, I'm sorry, that's not acceptable. Yeah. You know? So kindness is not niceness. Kindness is the alleviation of suffering. And yes. that can look very differently depending on what the situation is. Yeah, absolutely. I talk about that kindness and being nice actually for me like they just sit as polar opposites in terms of you know, it's just so many things that are, are different about it but I do I I just have to say one more thing because normally I would end here but I it was when I were when I did my last challenge, which was um, on a stand up bike, I'd spent four months out going zigzagging up the UK, doing five thousand miles. It was a world record, and so many things went wrong on that challenge. So many I can't even tell you. And I used to just say, "It just is what it is," and it became my mantra for about one hundred and twenty days. Because every day there'd be something else that went wrong. And so then when I listened to your book on, or when I'd listened to your book and you talked about that, that kind of, well, just is what it is. You know, I was like, yes, that's what I do. <laughs> well, it is what it is. But that's kind of the mindfulness. We also want to add that. And that's, 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 it just went wrong. You know, see, we, yeah. now those, so we want to accept the situation, but we also want to be warm and kind of supportive to ourselves, especially when what is, is painful. Yeah. So one without the other is actually incomplete. Yeah. Um, but oh, if you, you say, this shouldn't be, this hurts, so then you don't accept it, that's a problem as well. We need yeah. both. We need acceptance and this warmth and care and support. Yeah, absolutely. 
Thank you so much. It has been an absolute honour to have you on as a guest. Um, And I'm sure everyone's going to take something away from this, your books and the website. And there's so much um, to take away and continue to look you up. So thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you have loved this episode, please do share it with others. Pop on and give a lovely review, but mostly take forwards into your life something that can change someone else's. We are looking for the elusive happiness and kindness is the action that can get us there.